Welcome and welcome back tonight. We're glad that those who are here this morning are back with us. We have some who are guests tonight who did not get to be with us this morning, but we are glad that you're here. I want you to know that you're always welcome here at the Midway Congregation. I invite you to be with us at any of the services that we have. As you know, if you've been here, we've been studying through the book of Judges on Sunday night. The last time we were in chapter 10, we're still in chapter 10. We'll go into chapter 11 this uh, tonight. But you know, in chapter 10, we see the children of Israel going back into that cycle of sin. They have turned back and begun to worship idols, and they uh, were oppressed by some of the neighbors. And of course, as we talked about last time, we're introduced in chapter 10 to the two nations that will plague them for a long, long time, even after the judges. We have the Ammonites that we'll be talking about tonight. The Philistines are also mentioned here in chapter number 10, and we'll read about them a little bit later. And they will continue on and on and on for a number of years to be a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. But as we looked at them last time, we understand that they gave a half-hearted repentance, it seems, to God. They basically almost came and said, well, God, do your thing again. We're, we're sort of sad that we have sinned, and now we know that we're in trouble, so God, do your thing. And God basically said, I'm not going to keep on saving you. And so eventually, as we noted last time, we came to understand that there was the real repentance by the fact that the children of Israel did give up the idols that they were worshiping, and, and we talked about that. But that didn't solve the problem of those who were oppressing them at this particular juncture, and, and so we need to talk about that, and that's what we'll see beginning here in verse number 17. The Bible says, Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped at Mizpah. Now, those two locations are not very far apart, and yet as we see them, we have one army that is being uh, uh, readied by one group, and another army that, that is sitting over here that's trying to come together. And it's sort of an, uh, an occasion where the children of Israel had been oppressed for so long that it's now time to stand up and do something. But in reality, what is it that we're going to do? They, they are called together here in, in, uh, uh, in Mizpah, according to verse 17. But what is it that they're going to be able to do? And so we look at verse 18. Uh, the Bible says, uh, or actually as we look at it there, we're going to find out that they're going to need someone to lead them. They're going to have a head of the people, and I don't know what I'm going here. There we go. They're going to need someone to be a head over them. And uh, he's, uh, Judges, the book of Judges says, And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said one to another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He will be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And so they're wondering, we're, we, we've got an army that's gathering up, and, and we think we're ready to go against this group of people, but somebody has got to lead. Who is that going to be? Well, enter a man by the name of Jephthah. We're going to be talking about him tonight and uh, in another lesson as well. 
But we have Jephthah who is introduced to us here in chapter number 11. You see, the people of Gilead, they go to Jephthah and they make a request, come and be our leader. They ask in verse 18, who's going to be the leader? But they're going to make the request of Jephthah, come and be our leader. Now, there are four main things that we're going to be looking at in regard to Jephthah. Number one, we're going to be looking at his situation. Uh, There's a lot that we can learn from the situation of Jephthah that we need to remember that should be an encouragement to us as well. And then not only are we going to look at the, the situation of Jephthah, but we're going to find the summons of Jephthah when the people actually go and they ask him, they request him, or they demand of him to be their leader. And so we have the summons of Jephthah. And then thirdly, we'll talk about the strategy of Jephthah. How is it that he's going to, to go out here and to be against the Ammonites? And then finally, we'll talk about the sorrow of Jephthah. And we won't get to all four of those tonight, but that's what we're going to look at in regard to this man. So let's talk about the situation of Jephthah. As we think about that, we need to read verses 1 through 3 of chapter number 11. We're bleeding right over into that. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows, English Standard Version says, collected around Jephthah and went out with him. As we look at Jephthah and begin to think about his situation, we know that he was a hometown boy. In other words, the Bible says that he was a Gileadite, that he lived in the region, or at least had grown up, in the region of Gilead, and so people probably were familiar with him, and we can glean that by not just reading verses 1 through 3, but by looking at some of the other things that, that are uh, uh, relevant here in this chapter. He was one of the hometown boys. He was from the town of Gilead. But not only was he a hometown boy, the Bible makes it clear that he was uh, uh, the son and somehow or other we're getting all mixed up there, he was the son of a man by the name of Gilead. He's from the region of Gilead, but his daddy's name is Gilead as well. Because when we look, we find that the man, the father of of Jephthah, is said to have a wife and said to have children of his own. And so it indicates that that the father, that this man who lived in the town of Gilead, uh, perhaps was named for the town itself, or perhaps it was that the region, the the place, had been named because of some of his uh, ancestors. But he has uh, the, the father, the name of the father is Gilead. But the Bible also says in verses 1 through 3 that Gilead, or that uh, rather that Jephthah is the son of a prostitute. And that's an interesting statement to be made in regard to this man. And I think it'll, you'll come to understand 
part of what is said here in this chapter uh, and the statements that Gilead himself, or rather Jephthah himself will make a little bit later in some of the things at play when we understand the kind of uh, uh, situation that people would have looked at in regard to the son of someone who did not was, was not married, I mean, was not born in marriage, in a, in a legitimate relationship. Now, let me just stop right here and say, the Bible doesn't tell us in regard to uh, the relationship between Gilead and the prostitute. We don't know if he was like Judah and Tamar, if he went out and hired the prostitute, you know, and had a relation with her, and she became impregnated and bore a child. We don't know anything in regard to that. Or if she had been perhaps one of the temple prostitutes, one of the prostitutes who had been uh, uh, a part of the worship of some of the pagan gods. Now you remember just a little bit earlier in chapter number 10, we find that the children of Israel are putting away their gods. They had been worshiping idols. And part of that included prostitutes who attended the worship. And so the Bible doesn't say, but at any, in any of the cases, whether it was from the, um, uh, the man hiring a prostitute or from uh, a, a worship service, if you will, in regard to one of the pagan idols, he still had a son by a prostitute. And Jephthah, the son, still had a stigma because of his own heritage, his own uh, father and what he himself had done. And so as a result of that, he is forced to become an outcast. Forced by his own family to become an outcast. Forced by his own town to become an outcast. Now if you think about what is said in verses 1 through 3, it seems like Gilead had tried to do the right thing by Jephthah. In other words, he had taken him into his own home. And he had raised him as his son, as he should have. But it still makes me ask the question, where was his mother? Seems like he was raised with, you know, the wife that uh, Gilead had married and the children that they had in their union. He was trying to do the right thing. But again, as we look at the situation, we find that when they all grew up, the Bible makes it clear that they had grown up, very likely what has happened is that Gilead has died and his estate, we'll just put it in that uh, terminology, his estate is being settled. And in the process of that, all the brothers get together and say, you don't have a part. You don't have anything. Daddy didn't leave you anything. And so they drive him away. Now, how many people in our world through the centuries have been divided? How many families have been torn asunder when it came time for the property all to be divided up? It's not just a problem with, with Jephthah and his family. It's happened, you know, numerous, numerous times regard to others. We, we don't need to let that happen, but it happens here. And so he becomes, is forced to become an outcast, and not just by his own brothers. We haven't read it yet, but we'll see that, that Jephthah makes it clear it wasn't just the family that looked down on him 
and forced him to leave by their actions, it was the whole town. Everybody had talked about poor old little Jephthah and what Gilead had done. And you can just imagine all the whispering that went on behind the scenes. You know, we sometimes don't catch all of that unless we just stop and think and and try to understand the whole situation here. And so he's forced to become an outcast and he moves to a place by the name of Tob. But then once he gets there, Jephthah's situation is this. Jephthah becomes a leader. He becomes a leader. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says that there were worthless fellows who gathered around Jephthah. That idea of gathering around seems to indicate that he was one of those kinds of people who naturally draw others to himself. You know the kind that I'm talking about? It's the kind of person when he or she enters the room, the demeanor that they have just shouts out, leader. Here's the one who has the respect, who commands the respect. Not that he's uppity or haughty or anything like that, but the person that exudes the presence that people look up to. You know, I'm told that Bear Bryant was that kind of person. Whenever he entered a room, you just automatically looked up to him. I'm also told that men like General Norman Schwarzkopf, many of you may remember him from the first Gulf War, that he was that kind of person. Now, I understand he was a pretty, pretty tall guy, and they had to look up to him in more than one way. But he was one of those guys that just had that respect that people just automatically sought to give when he walked into a room. And I've known people in my own life. Brother Wendell Winkler was like that. When he walked into the room, he was sort of like the one that you could look to and just sort of exuded that presence that if there was a situation that arose, he was the one who could handle it. And so, you know, I would hope that we could become, all of us, that kind of people that when we're around others that they would look up to us and be look at us to be the one that they would look to in time of need. And so he had these people who gathered around him. But the Bible says that they were worthless fellows. That's the way the English Standard Version translates it. What does he mean, or what does the Bible mean, that there were these worthless guys who gathered around Jephthah? Now, if you remember back in Judges chapter 9 at verse 4, we've encountered some worthless fellows before. Abimelech went out and recruited some worthless fellows to be in his army, if you will. But the Bible says about them that not only were they worthless fellows, they were also reckless fellows. And we said back when we studied that, that the idea is that they were void of feeling, arrogant, lacking respect. That's the kind of things that these kind of people, it seemed, had. But when we look at the word worthless, that's translated worthless itself, that word just means empty, void. 
And in this case, unlike back in Judges chapter 9 at verse number 4, we don't know what they're empty of. It just says that they were empty or void fellows that had gathered around Jephthah. I can't help but wonder if these guys were sort of like the ones who are said in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22 to have gathered themselves to David. Now I do know what they were void of in that place because the Bible God saw fit to tell us. In 1 Samuel chapter 22 verses 1 and 2 the Bible says, David departed from there and escaped to a cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now listen to verse number 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them, And there were with him about 400 men. Here are some people who had been hurt themselves. They they were lost souls, I guess you might say, not from the standpoint of being eternally lost, but they themselves, you know, had problems in their lives. They needed someone to look up to. David became their leader. And it may well be the case with Jephthah. That's the same kind of worthless, quote-unquote, the same kind of worthless fellows who came to him. You see, we're not told in Scripture that, that these guys were bad guys. We're not told in Scripture. The Word doesn't indicate that they were mean guys. Not in this case. They're not said to be like the others, reckless. But they were needing someone to look up to. Remember, What was going on? In the whole land, in the eastern side of the Jordan River, for 18 years, the Ammonites had been oppressing them. Very likely coming in and stealing their crops and stealing things and, you know, taking what they wanted and leaving the people poor and destitute. Here are men, perhaps, who are at their wit's end. They were about ready to let go of the rope. And now they found somebody who can be their leader. The Bible says that he becomes a, a leader. He, these people gather around him. But not only does the Bible say that these worthless fellows gathered around him. If you go all the way back to verse number 1 of chapter 11, there's another thing that's revealed about Jephthah himself. We're still looking at his situation. The Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 11 that he became a mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Seems that he'd proven himself in some way, and so likely his band of misfit guys that had gathered around him had already been leading raids against the oppressors. How else would the people of Gilead have known that he would, as, he would be a good leader? That they needed to go get him to lead their army to go against the people of Ammon, the Ammonites. And so he had, he had that. 
But I don't want you to miss something here. Because if we just look at it with a casual reading, we'll miss something about Jephthah's situation. You see, as we look at the word that's translated warrior here, we don't really want to miss what the Bible is saying. That word is used more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And let me give you the way in which it's translated most often. It's found, at least one occasion of it is found in Judges chapter 6 at verse number 12 in relation to Gideon. The Bible says Gideon is said by the angel to be a mighty man of valor. Now Jephthah is said to be a mighty warrior, but the word warrior is the same word that's used back in Judges chapter 6 at verse 12 and translated man of valor. It's used that way a number of times in Scripture, those who are men of valor. In Judges chapter 21 at verse number 10, the same word is used again. There the Bible simply says, So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men. The word is translated bravest there. It's also interesting that you continue on in the Old Testament, book of Ruth chapter 2 verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Elimelech, or rather Boaz, was a worthy man. That's the same word that's used in regard to Jephthah back in Judges chapter 11 at verse number 1. But then there's another passage that you really need to see. This one is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 31. Now, if you're on your toes tonight, you might know that when we talk about Proverbs chapter 31, that's the chapter that talks about women, isn't it? And in verse number 10 of that chapter, the Bible simply says, An excellent wife, who can one find? Who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The word excellent is the same word that's used in regard to Jephthah. And so when the Bible says, the way it's translated here by the English Standard Translators, that he's a mighty warrior, it's used in the context of of the people and what they're needing. But he is a man of valor. He's a brave man. He he is a man that that, uh, himself possesses the characteristic of excellence. You see, sometimes we look down on people and we project onto them what we think they might be. But here's a man who seems to be described as a really good man. As a matter of fact, the characteristic that's used here in regard to Jephthah is talked about by David over in the Psalms. For example, in Psalm 18 at verse 32, David says, The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. The word translated strength is the same word that's used in regard to Jephthah. But did you catch what David said? It was God who equipped him with that. In the same psalm, Psalm 18, verse 39, 
David again says in verse 39, For you equipped me with strength for your battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You see, David says in that psalm that it was God who blessed him, bestowed upon him this strength that he as the king had. And God did it for the battle that David was to fight, not just with Goliath, but as the king of Israel. God was giving him what he possessed, according to what David said twice in one psalm. God has seen the misery of his people. They've repented. They're asking who is going to lead us into battle. And the Bible says simply that here is this man who is called a mighty warrior. We'll miss it if we just read over it casually. Here's a man seemingly who has been prepared by God to take care of the situation at hand. And so as we look at him, here's, that's the situation that we find this man being in. You know, one of the great lessons... I, getting behind there, but one of the great lessons that we need to be sure not to miss is this. We can learn from Jephthah that uh, we don't need to let our background deter us from being what God wants us to be. Sometimes people will say, you know, I'm, I, I just don't know if I could ever do this or do that or do the other because People might look down upon me because of what I've done in the past or, or because of who I am or, you know, I, I just really don't have a, a, a college education that would make it possible for me to be a great teacher or whatever, you know. Well, here's a man who was the son of a prostitute, an outcast from his family, run off by his own family and driven out of town by the folks in town. And God has prepared him in his situation to take care of business, the business at hand that God wanted taken care of. The people are asking who's going to be our leader. And God has already prepared one. See, God's always a step ahead of us. He always knows more than what we know. Sometimes we just don't catch on, or at least refuse to catch on to what God wants. But here's the situation that has just raised itself up. Jephthah, gone from home, these people drawn around him. He is making a name for himself, and God's going to use him. God's going to use him. Number two tonight, let's talk about Jephthah's summons just a little bit. That's found beginning in verse number four, and going through the next several verses, down through about verse number 11. As we turn there and we begin to read, the Bible says, After a time the Ammonites made war against Israel. When the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Amorites. Uh, Ammonites. rather." But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Well, that's why we've turned to you now. 
that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites. Be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, the Lord gives them over into my hands. He said, uh, I will be your head. The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be our witness between us. If we do not do as you say, so Jephthah went and the elders of Gilead and the people made him head over the lead, and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. As you look at that reading from verses uh, uh, 4 through 11, here's some things that we need to catch. Number one, did you notice what the Bible said? The elders went to bring him. I think it's significant in the way that the Bible says that. The elders went to bring him, verse number 5. If you're reading from the King James Version tonight or from the American Standard Version, they went to fetch him. If you're reading from the New King James or the New American Standard, they went to get him. You see, it doesn't seem that they went to negotiate, try to convince him to come. He was their man, no matter what the price was. We want you to lead us. They went to bring him back to be the leader. Isn't it sort of significant that the unwanted has now become the must-have? The unwanted man has now become the must-have, the go-to guy, the one that we can't do without. They went to bring him. That's what the elders did. They went to bring him back to be their leader. I want you to notice in verse number 6 that they tell him that they want him to be their leader. Come be our leader, they said, verse number 6. Now, if you properly analyze it, you'll understand that what they're saying is that we want you to be the leader of our army. When you come back here, we want you to lead our army. We want you not just to lead our we want you to be the commander of the army. Not just be the commander. We want you to be the general. We want you to be the fellow who's in charge. The chief is the way that word is translated in a lot of places when, when it's relating to the army. We want you to be the chief guy. You're the one who tells them to go here or go there, and they better go. And so they're asking him, you know, to, to be the, the leader of the army. And notice in verse number 6, if you will, it's not on the screen, but you may have your Bible open. They're wanting him to be the leader, and specifically stated in verse number 6, so that we can fight against the Ammonites. That's, that's their purpose. They're wanting him to be their leader there. They're not asking him to be king. They're asking him to be the general, the one who commands the army that they have. But then the Bible says that Jephthah sort of asked them, he says, well, did you not hate me? Or was I just imagining that? You know, think about this. Was I just imagining that when y'all ran me out of town? Didn't you hate me at one time? When we look at that word, that he uses here, it literally means to be unloved, 
be shunned. There was a time when you didn't love me. There was a time that you shunned me. And in essence, he asked them, are you just coming to me just because you're in danger? You've heard what I've been doing. Are you just coming to me, the one who's been shunned, the one who's been unloved, just because you're in danger now? Well, you have to hand it to these elders of Gilead for telling the truth. Because they said, yeah, that's why we came. That's why we're here. They just pretty much say, yes. But then in verses 8 and 9, he says, or they say, but now we want you to be our head. That's a different word than leader in Scripture. We want you to be your leader. And Jephthah says, didn't you hate me? Didn't you shun me? Didn't, was I not the one you didn't love? Yeah. But now we want you to be the head. Oh, it gets significant here. The word head is used a bunch of times in the Bible. And literally, and when it's literally used, it literally refers to the head. You see, when David defeated Goliath, you remember he used the stone to knock him down, but then what did he do? He cut off his head. Same word is used there. But the word is also used in a figurative sense. It doesn't just mean the literal physical part of the body called the head, but it means the one who is high in status. Jephthah at one time had been regarded as the lowest in town. So much so that he wasn't even worthy to live among them. But Jephthah looks at them and said, Now, you want me to be the one who is the highest among you? Who's, who's got the greatest status? You want me to be the one who, who, the, who you look up to? What a change in this man's life. Well, Jephthah, you remember, he said, well, I can basically understand that as long as we're winning the war. But what happens when we've won? Will I still be the head when we've won? And the elders say, yes. If you're not still in that elevated position, if you will, that status then God himself will judge us. And that's why they went back to Mizpah and confirmed it before all of the people that he would have the leadership and the headship, if you will, according to verse number 7. They openly acknowledged him as both leader and head. You know, if you go back to the book of Judges, chapter 10, verse 18... 
We didn't talk about it a while ago. But the Bible there says, And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said one to another, Who's the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. The one who could deliver them would be the most esteemed man in the whole countryside. What a big difference in the summons of this man. I said we were going to break this into two lessons. Let's break it into three. And let's stop, cut it off right here because I've got about another 20 or 30 minutes on the strategy. So we can talk about that. Maybe tonight as we begin to close out this lesson that you need a change in your life. It may be that because of sin you have been the one who has been regarded as low, if you will, in not just the standpoint of your way of thinking, but from the one who looks at you and says, this is my child and this is the one I love, but he or she has become a sinner. Understand that because of what God has done in sending His Son, He's willing to elevate you, to take you from the depths of sin. And David talks about in the Psalms how that he was in the pits of mire and how that he was so bogged down in sin. But God is willing to take you and exalt you to the place of sonship, to be one of His children to have a part in His family and to have a part in His inheritance. Maybe tonight that you need to have that big change in your life by being baptized for the remission of sins or it may be that you just simply need the forgiveness of something that you've done after becoming a Christian. Whatever the case may be, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, why don't you come right now as together we stand and sing.